Hi, I'm Ollie. And I'm Kendall. And this is The Group Project. The Group Project is a podcast telling people stories about making a difference in the world. Today, our guest is Rob Clavins of Oregon Wild. We talk with Rob about the past, present, and future of wolves in Oregon and the United States. You can follow us on Instagram at Make One Change, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's our conversation with Rob Clavins of Oregon Wild. Thanks, Rob, for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for yeah, thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit um, about what you spend your days doing and how you how you came to be doing that? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I get asked that a lot, sort of what's a typical day uh, as a conservation advocate. Um, and my job title is the Northeast Oregon Field Coordinator for Oregon Wild, uh, which makes it sound like I have a staff, um, but I am the only staff person in Northeastern Oregon. So I guess I coordinate myself. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of uh, a lot of different things that I do. I actually spend um, most of my time uh, working with the Forest Service and other um, other stakeholders on uh, collaborative forest restoration, which is this idea if we get all the different stakeholders together who have uh, say on our public lands, we could get to, to better outcomes than if it's just uh, the Forest Service putting pr- forward proposals and, and everybody reacting to them. Um, and sometimes that works well. Other times it can be a, a big challenge. Um, but I also work on a number of other issues related to public lands, um, grazing, uh, wildlife issues, wildlife policy. Um, during the summertime, I get to spend a lot of time out in the field. Um, but a lot of the time, I also joke that I feel like I'm a professional emailer. Uh, I have a beautiful view out my window, but uh, I spend a lot of time looking at the computer screen um, and, and emailing and, and being on the phone. Um but in terms of how I came to do this work, I, I actually often wonder myself, uh, I live in northeastern Oregon in Wallowa County, uh, which is um, uh, the county is about twice the size of Rhode Island with 7,000 people in it. Uh, and I grew up in the suburbs of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, and so I have moments where I, I'm, I love where I am and it's wonderful, but I kind of wonder how I got here as, as well. Um, but I'm really glad I'm here um, because it's a, it's a beautiful place. It's a spectacular place. Um, and growing up in Wisconsin, there's a, a feeling of, and there's a real connection to the outdoors, uh, but it's different. Um, and I've kind of likened it to uh, spending the first 25 years of my life on the playground uh, and then suddenly going to Six Flags Great America and seeing the roller coaster because instead of hills out here, we have mountains. Uh, instead of some, you know, small state forests, we have huge tracts of uh, national forests and public lands that belong to all Americans. Um, and so I had that real attachment to uh, the outdoors uh, when I grew up. I grew up uh, fishing and hiking and bird watching and doing all those sorts of things um, and really enjoyed science. So I went to Lawrence University, a little uh, liberal arts college in Wisconsin where I studied, uh, studied biology. Um, and unfortunately, uh, when I went to the career center, you know, the only, the only things they told me about when I told them that I wanted to work on the environment was, um, you know, to go get your master's degree and work for an, you know, work for an agency or to be a consultant for a development firm. And none of those things really appealed to me. Um, so I actually came out to Oregon um, and taught outdoor education for a couple of years um, and really fell in love with Oregon, um, fell in love with public lands. Uh, but at the time in the, during the Bush administration, saw a lot of those values being threatened. 
uh, and wanted to do something more immediate about it. Um, I think the outdoor education was probably doing that was some of the happiest years of my life um, and, and really important work as well. But I wanted to be more involved in the, in the issues that were happening in that moment. Um, so I spent a year as a community organizer working on environmental issues around the country with, uh, with Green Corps. Um, and when that year, when that program was over, I started looking for jobs back in, in Oregon and um, found a job with Oregon Wild, and I, I haven't looked back since. That's really great. Um, and do you, so you said you're in eastern Oregon, is that right? Yeah, Willowa County, where we can actually see Idaho from our house. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I was curious about and that um, that I've heard about through Oregon Wild um is about the work that you guys are doing to protect wolves. Um, could yeah. you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Sure. And so Oregon Wild, um, just a little background there might be helpful too. We, we've been around since 1974. Um, our mission has always been to protect Oregon's wildlands, wildlife, and waters as an enduring legacy. Um, and for most of our history, we've really been focused on public lands and, and habitat conservation. Um, which is obviously an end unto itself, um, but it's also a means to an end, and which is to say we protect habitat not just and trees not just for their own sake, but also because of the wildlife that they protect and all of the other values, whether it's clean drinking water, you know, opportunities for solitude and recreation, um, but wildlife is also one of those. And so we want to see healthy populations of all native wildlife, and that includes keeping common species like elk and deer and robins, for that matter, common. Um, but we spend most of our time really focusing on those species that um, either need extra help uh, or play a really disproportionate uh, role on the landscape. Um, keystone species like sea otters or wolves are, are, are examples of that. And wolves are a species that really, uh, of anim they're, they're an animal that really kind of crosses into both sides of that. Um, we once, uh, wolves were once common in this state and we, we wiped them out. The very first meetings of the Oregon, uh, the, the, the meetings that created the state of Oregon uh, were called the wolf meetings and were called actually in, in large part to figure out how to deal with the, pro the quote problem of marauding wolves and all the other animals with pointy teeth and native hunters. Um, and we did a really good job of that. So wolves were eliminated from the landscape. And even today, uh, we only have 124 known wolves in the entire state. Um, and unfortunately, recently, the state's been killing them. Um, so we actually have even less than that now. But we have a really low population. And wolves continue to be at the center of this, this um, real campaign of misinformation and fear that finds fertile ground in our um, genetic predisposition to be afraid of predators. Um, but also a long legacy, especially on the European um, Judeo-Christian side of, of fearing the big bad wolf and stories like Little Red Riding Hood. So wolves need, uh, need that extra help. Um, and they've also been the subject of uh, a lot of um, political uh, attacks um, uh, on environmental protections. Um, and so we focus a lot on wolves um, since they started coming back um, in the late 1990s. Um, and then when Oregon created a wolf plan in 2005, and then wolves finally really started retaking their rightful place in the Oregon landscape uh, in 2008 um, or 2009. And that's when we really started to get even more involved um, in the policy arena 
as well as um, monitoring things on the ground, um, keeping agencies accountable to their missions and the public they serve and those sorts of things. And uh, what is the reason that the state is killing the wolves? Yeah, so we have a situation ongoing right now. Um, as the crow flies not very far from me, but um, certainly taking a car a long way in, in Baker County, um, where wolves are um, running in livestock are running into livestock. Um, there have been a couple situations where uh, wolves have, have been killing calves, uh, and the state has gone uh, to made the choice to kill wolves in this circumstance. The last two weeks have been really chaotic, and we're actually still trying to, to understand um, exactly what's happening, why um, why the decisions are being made, um, and every time we get answers, we seem to have uh, they, they just seem to spur more questions. Um, and just uh, the chaotic way that this this kill order has been carried out, um, it's had very little transparency and and feeds part of the reason why we are concerned about wolves is. Um, the way that the state manages wolves is, is really symptomatic of a broader disconnect that the agency, Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, have from their mission, which is not very difficult, different from, from Oregon Wild's mission. It's to protect and enhance wildlife, uh, fish and wildlife for use and enjoyment by all Oregonians. And change a couple words, that's our mission. Um, but unfortunately, for the last 20 or so years, that agency has increasingly um, abandoned its conservation mission. Um, and though the circumstances of this particular case um, certainly have their own specifics, um, we've seen the state far too willing to pick up the gun, put out the trap, and, and kill wolves instead of doing the things that work oftentimes even better uh, to prevent conflict from happening. Um, I think most reasonable people uh, who are interested in, in, in wolves and wolf policy have three things that they can agree on. They want to see less dead livestock, less dead wolves, and less angry people. Uh, unfortunately, the way the state is managing these, these things these days is leading to, to in, the, in the exact opposite direction. So the place that I'm coming from is just, I have a lot of curiosity, but very little, I think, information <laughs> right now. Um, and so I'm just, I have a few questions just to ask to try to help understand the situation better. And, um, my first experience hearing people talk about wolves was actually with a friend that lives in Idaho. They were sharing about how they were speaking with someone who is an expert on wolves, and they were talking about how the wolves in the area that are super wolves. And I was like, oh, wow, like I didn't know that. And then I went and I had seen some stuff from you, which led me to like, um, like, I mean, from Oregon Wild. And that led me to read just a few different things. And um, it was people saying that there aren't actually super wolves. And so if there are, it just seems to be very heated on both sides with experts on both sides saying um, conflicting information. And just, I guess I'm just wondering if what your experience around this is. And like, yeah, kind of like how to make sense of all of this stuff uh, without going to, you know, school for it and studying it in a really specific manner. But like, just as members of the public, how do we, how do we parse um, all of this different and oftentimes conflicting information? Yeah, well, and I think you're, you know, this is not unique to wolves, right? This is something we're de dealing with in our, our country on all sorts of issues right now with, with fake news and w what's real and what's, what's manufactured and 
what has a nugget of truth, but is a fable. And I, I would have to be honest, I'd, I'd question that. Um, it sounds like you were three degrees removed from this this person, but I, I'd question whether they were an expert if they were talking about, quote, super wolves. Um, there's a, just a ton of misinformation about wolves. Uh, and it's really unfortunate because that's what drives so much of the discussion um, about wolf policy. Um, I think the best policy that, that we can have is is grounded in the best available science and informed by our values. Uh, and unfortunately, the state and, and we see on the policy discussion so often it's based on anecdote uh, or it's based on on things that just simply aren't true. And we can still disagree, even if we even if we agree on the basic facts, we can still have a disagreement. Um, you know, and I think about right now, if I look out my window and say, do you want to have a picnic? You can say yes, and I can say no. But if I look outside and I say, well, why wouldn't we? It's bright and sunny. And you say, no, it's it's actually there's six feet of snow on the ground. It's going to be really hard to, to, to come to any sort of common ground. And unfortunately, with wolves, that's kind of what's happening is we have um, there's a really there's a lot of misinformation about wolves. Um, and so, you know, there there comes a point where you you sort of have to trust who you're hearing it from, but then maybe you want to build that trust. And, and I would say that, um, you know, I, 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 I'm certainly not right all the time, but when, when we talk about things, we make sure we do our best to make sure that they are based in science and by all means, uh, you know, fact check us. Um, and, you know, just as an example, um, you're asking why we're killing wolves in, in Oregon. Um, you get this idea that wolves are constantly are decimating the livestock industry when the reality is, you know, Oregon is home to over 1.3 million cows. Um, the last year we have statistics from the United States Department of Agriculture, um, over 55,000 died from things like weather, disease, domestic dogs, human thieves. Last year was the worst year we've had in a long time for predation by wolves on cows. Only 13 cows were killed or injured by wolves in the entire state out of a population of over 1.3 million. Yet that's what drives the policy. And to the super wolf question, um, you know, there's this idea that because uh, the wolves that are in Oregon, uh, and we kind of skipped ahead in the story, we jumped from uh, wolves in, you know, 1847, uh, we kind of jumped uh, to what's happening this week in Baker County, and, and we certainly skipped a fair bit along the way. But the wolves that, that are here in Oregon um, trace their roots to wolves that were reintroduced into um, central Idaho and Yellowstone in, in the mid-1990s. Um, those wolves, wolves were starting to actually already make their way back into the western United States on their own. Um, but that process was sped up by this, this reintroduction. And those wolves were brought from Canada. So what you hear is this idea that because these wolves are from Canada, um, they're not, it's not a native species. Um, and again, there, you can, if you really want to give some benefit of the doubt, you can find a nugget of truth uh, in taxonomy. Uh, in that there are different subspecies of wolves. Um, that said, the differences between the subspecies of wolves uh, are minuscule, uh, and there's no credible scientist or agency that will tell you that these wolves are any different than the wolves that were here before. Um, and furthermore, the, the subspecies of wolf uh, was present in California and, and Washington, or sorry, California and Canada. So the idea that they magically skipped Oregon uh, and there's this super huge aggressive breed of, of wolf um, nothing kept them out of here prior to, to um, creating the 47th parallel uh, between uh, Canada and America. So wolves once had the widest ranging uh, distribution of any land non-human land mammal on the planet. Um, so it's just another one of these myths. And I think it largely comes from the idea that 
Um, people who don't want wolves here understand that it's a pretty commonly held 21st century value that native wildlife have a right to be on the landscape. Uh, and so it makes sense to make up this fable about a wolf that doesn't belong here. Um, and, and that's where that really comes from. But you're right. There's a lot of misinformation about wolves, uh, and it can be hard to uh, it, it can be hard sometimes to, to understand, uh, you know, to, to differentiate. But I think that's true of a lot of things. And so I think you should uh, look to people who can back it up, uh, you know, who can back up their claims with with statistics and science and and those sorts of things. And certainly, it is informed by values at a, at a certain point. Are you all working with, is Oregon Wild or any other organizations that you know of, working with ranchers and people that are living in areas that um, are, I guess, are wolves in Oregon just in eastern Oregon at this point? So um, there are now wolves in western Oregon as well. Uh, They've been really struggling. Uh, When you look at a map of, of where wolves are in Oregon, they are largely confined to the corner of the state where I live. Um, and in particular, that little corner between um, I-84, uh, Idaho, and Washington, um, the overwhelming majority of the state's wolves live there. Um, there have been some wolves that have made it into western Oregon, um, most notably OR7, the wolf some people uh, call Journey, who was the first wolf to make his way all the way to California in, in nearly a century. Um, though that happened, oh gosh, four or five years ago now, uh, I think more than that, um, his pack, the Rogue Pack, uh, just outside of Crater Lake National Park, continues to be the only uh, breeding pair of wolves in western Oregon. Um, in my neck of the woods, you could make an argument that wolves have, have recovered, um, but certainly statewide, they are a long way from that. Um, and to your question of do we work with folks in the livestock industry, we certainly do whenever we can. Um, unfortunately, though, where wolves decided to show up was in a place where um, they were not they were not welcomed back, uh, and and we saw um, a lot of wolf hysteria really take hold. And though it's abated, uh, it really sort of created it, it it framed the discussion from an early date that makes it always about conflict and controversy. And the reality is that, is that the story of wolves is is something really different. And again, last year, 13 cows were killed um, by wolves in the entire state. And you better believe we heard about that. Um, almost every, every time, front page news kind of material. The other 352 days of the year, when wolves were just being wolves doing what they do, um, we didn't hear much about it. And wolves have a lot of really positive impacts as well um, that we just don't talk about because we get caught up in this conflict and controversy. And, and so I hope we have some time maybe to talk a little bit about those positive benefits. Um, but there are some folks in the livestock industry who are doing the right thing. Um, I just met with a couple of them yesterday, and it was fantastic to hear. Um, there's a, a gentleman who runs sheep uh, in the northern Blue Mountains uh, of Umatilla County, um, and he, in Union County in the Umatilla National Forest. Um, and he took over, and it was, it's a great example of where uh, we actually had the, the previous operator of sheep in that area was losing sheep to livestock. Um, but he was un, he, the only thing he wanted to do to solve that problem was to kill wolves. Um, this person has taken a different approach, and they're using non-lethal methods to try to prevent the conflict from happening in the first place. And it's worked. He hasn't lost a sheep uh, to wolves since he started uh, having a sheep in that area. And so when we have folks like that that, that are I- interested and willing to do the right thing and try to work to prevent conflict, um, we certainly work with them. 
Um, but there are times where we have to draw a firm line and there, when, when people are unwilling to do that and they just want to get a compensation check from taxpayers uh, and a dead wolf, um, that becomes a, that, that's harder to work with those folks. So uh, whenever we can, we do. Um, but whenever we have to draw a line, uh, we certainly do that as well. But what has been really uh, positive is seeing the, the, the conversation change more where we are starting to see a lot more folks in the livestock industry understand that whether they like them or not, uh, wolves are here. They're part of the landscape. Um, and, and it makes more sense to, to work to prevent conflict rather than, than to kill wolves. And I kind of go back to that, that uh, statement I made earlier of we all should have a mutual interest in seeing less dead livestock, less dead wolves, and, and less angry people. And, and we've seen examples where that can really work. So let's get into some of the benefits of wolves and, and how they are important and you know what value and benefit they, they bring to um, the land and uh, our communities and things like that yeah and and there's a there's a lot of reasons and i think you know the the one that's easy to gloss over because it's sort of uh, it's hard to quantify um is the intrinsic value of wildlife uh why do wildlife matter and we can quantify it in ecological and economic terms and and i'd be happy to share some of those thoughts but um, at the end of the day, I think there's something more to it than that. And I think uh, we as Oregonians um, and, and we as Americans, we as citizens of the world, um, most of us see value in native wildlife and wild places and, and public lands. And I certainly know that, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I wasn't lucky enough to be born in Oregon, but I chose it. Uh, and the reason I chose it was because of those very values. Um, and, and so I think the idea of being able to, to hike in the Eagle Cap wilderness or uh, you know, in, in the crater areas around Crater Lake National Park and, and see the tracks of a wolf or hear the, the silence broken by that howl is something that is just, it, it's, it's hard to describe or quantify why that's important, but I really think it is. Uh, and I think as we are in a changing world, um, as, as we're seeking solitude, as we're seeking escapes, I think those things are really important. But wolves certainly do have those quantifiable impacts uh, as well. Um, economically, again, we always hear about the conflict and the negatives, uh, but the reality is, is wolves also bring really positive benefits, uh, potential, have the potential to bring positive economic impacts to rural communities who embrace them. Um, you know, in the, in the upper Midwest, there are, are towns whose economies are driven by wildlife watching and, and wolves are sort of the, the star of that show. And nowhere is that more true than in Yellowstone National Park, where they've done studies to show how, uh, the gateway communities um, have gotten tens of millions of dollars more in, in individual years of people who are specifically coming to see wolves. They would not have come to see Yellowstone just for the geysers. They were coming for the wolves. Uh, and University of Montana did those studies, and I want to say it was something like $35 million a year in those gateway communities. And so, um, and I know my, the other thing that I do in my life is my wife and I run uh, a, a working farm, but also a small a, a bed and breakfast. And many of our guests, they don't come to see the feedlots. They don't come to see the clear cuts. They come because of the wildlife. They come because of the public lands. And so wolves certainly are, are an economic generator, have the potential to be an economic generator in that way. And then finally, there's, there's the ecological side of things. And um, we're, we used to just vilify wolves and other native hunters because we, want, we wanted to see it, the state run as essentially a glorified game farm where we were minimizing the number of, of threats to livestock and maximize the number of, of deer and elk and the things that we, we enjoy shooting and eating ourselves. 
and wolves are competition for that, or we're seen as competition for that. Um, but the reality is, and so we never really studied wolves. So we started studying wolves pretty only pretty recently, and increasingly, science is showing us that wolves play a critical and irreplaceable role in the landscape. And that's kind of where we started the discussion about why are we working on wolves versus um, any number of other species that need our help. But they have a disproportionate impact on the landscape. Um, and a lot of that research has, has occurred in Yellowstone National Park. To be clear, things, you know, Willowa County is not Yellowstone National Park. It's a different place. Um, but a pair of scientists um, at Oregon State University actually did this research in Yellowstone uh, with no real interest in wolves to start out with, but they were looking at some of the ecological questions that were being posed in the park. And they started seeing all of these changes um, that occurred not long after wolves uh, were, were reintroduced to the park. And what they found is that wolves are having this tremendous impact um, all the way down, they call it a trophic cascade, all the way through the different levels of the food chain, where um, without the native predators on the landscape, you saw the elk numbers uh, going way above the, the regular sort of baseline populations that they would have. Um, and, and we saw all sorts of impacts from that, and not just numerical, but also how they, how they acted. When wolves were, re, were returned back to that landscape, the elk started, there were less elk. Um, they're still doing just fine, um, but there were less than there were before, and they acted differently. They were, they were being hunted all the time. So they spent less time over-browsing stream sides, and, and, and what you started to see was a recovery of aspen and willow and, and streamside vegetation, which meant that there were more beavers, which meant that there was more habitat for, uh, for fish and ducks and all sorts of different things. Um, and though it's complicated, you don't just simply add wolves back to the landscape and everything gets better, it's unicorns and butterflies, um, and science is showing us that it's complicated. But there's a great quote from the conservationist Aldo Leopold that the key to intelligent tinkering is to first keep all of the pieces and that every piece has importance whether we understand it or not. And so what we've seen is that when you take a, those big pieces out like the apex carnivores, like wolves, it has this disproportionate impact and that their return um, does something to the landscape that we simply can't. Um, and all of the different parts of the ecosystem, the landscape that, that evolved together um, need all of those pieces to work at their best. And so uh, we'll see exactly how that plays out in Oregon if we give wolf recovery a chance to take hold. Um, but certainly uh, having wolves back on the landscape means we're much more likely to have a healthy landscape than, than in their absence. What do you think is needed in order for some of these things to take hold, some, the wolf recovery? And I guess, what do you see that needs to shift? Is it a mindset thing? Um, is it the way the conversations are happening? Is it education? What do you see? Yeah, and, and I, I want to answer that. But as I, you know, I think, again, kind of talking about the history is, is important to lead into that, which is, um, we used to have this idea that wolves were this really wilderness dependent species. And, um, that was largely because we had been persecuting them in North America for such a long time that once we started paying attention, those were the places that they were left. Um, and what we've since found that it, is if wolves have a, have a sufficient prey base and we don't kill them, they're incredibly resilient. They do really, really well. So really what we need are, are you know, and, and we're kind of facing this point in Oregon where we're asking this question, whether explicitly or not, but are we going to allow wolves to have to retake their rightful place on the landscape and fulfill that role that they did for thousands, if not millions of years before we started uh, managing wildlife, which is sort of an oxymoron when you really think about it. Um, and, and, uh, you know, so I think that uh, I, I lost my train of thought there. Um, 
Oh, yeah, so how are we going to let wolves retake that rightful place on the landscape? And, or are we going to have a token persecuted population that doesn't go extinct, and so we still have wolves on the landscape, but they're constantly being shot, persecuted, they're only allowed to thrive in the places, you know, in the far reaches of the, of the wilderness. Um, and, and that's a question that really comes down to, to our public policy. Um, and, you know, there is certainly some generational shifts that, that I think need to happen. We have a lot of folks with a uh, 1855 mindset that is if there's an animal with, with pointy teeth, the way to deal with it is to shoot it or, or poison it or put out the trap. Um, and in the 21st century, if it, that's just that's not the right way to do things. And if your business model depends on that, you should maybe question your, your business model. Um, and so we have to have policies that, again, are informed, are grounded in the best available science and our conservation values. And I think Oregon has a conservation value that we want to see all native wildlife thrive. And if that's the value we have, how do we apply the science to make that happen? Um, and unfortunately, the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife has not done a good job with that. Uh, and we, we see that with the state being far too willing to, to kill wolves um, well, well, oftentimes abandoning the important parts of the mission about education and conservation that are so important to changing those mindsets. Um, and I do think that the, I think the, you know, it, it's amazing. Again, the conflict and controversy often gets so overplayed. Um, poll after poll has shown that the overwhelming majority of Oregonians value native wildlife. They want to see wolf recovery take hold. Um, and, and I think we need to honor that in our policy, and unfortunately, that's not happening. And, and, and even in, in that, that, that statement is true in, in rural places, in urban places, across all demographics, there's, there's overwhelming support. It, it might be more or less in some places, but even here in, in Wallowa County, though the lar- loudest voices uh, talk about um, wanting to get rid of wolves, um, that's not, that doesn't represent a majority position. Most people are actually really quite moderate about wildlife. They want to see wolf recovery with minimal conflict. Um, and, and Oregon, unfortunately, um, has really gone off the rails there. We had a time um, where we were really leading the nation in, in showing how we could prioritize conflict prevention. Um, and we saw the wolf population grow and we saw conflict decrease. Um, now that we've seen more wolf killing, we've seen the opposite occur, where the population uh, growth has really slowed, uh, and we've seen more wolf killing, we've seen more predation on livestock, and we've seen more conflict. Uh, and so I think the really important thing is, if we want to get Oregon's wolf recovery and Oregon's policy back on track, is for the vast majority of Oregonians who value native wildlife to make sure that their voice is heard um, by Governor Brown and by their legislature, their legislators and decision makers, and 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 um, and the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. And have you um, have you actually encountered wolves ever, or do you know people that have? I have, and I feel really lucky that that I have. Um, you know, the, I, the first time I saw wolves was in, in northern Minnesota as a kid. Um, I still remember to this day we were in a place, um, the first time we visited it, and my parents told me, you know, there's wolves here. And it was, and it, it was sounded very scary. And I remember going to bed with visions of, uh, you know, misty scene and, and these big wolves running across the road and having to, you know, being afraid. Um, the first wolves I saw were, couldn't have been further from that. There were actually five wolf pups. Um, they were too young to know that they should be afraid of us, and so we got to watch them play for uh, probably about half an hour, and it was just a really fantastic experience. Um, 
and you can almost you can actually just see the personalities of the wolves coming out. Uh, you could see the wolf that actually uh, we were on a logging road, and and one wolf charged the truck. Uh, well, uh, pup, and I mean we're talking about a 30-pound wolf pup. The rest, of, two of them ran off into the woods, and then over time, um, we we watched them play with each other, chase bugs. It was it was really wonderful. Um, and I also feel really lucky to have seen wolves in Oregon, um, including the opposite, uh, OR4, which was literally the biggest wolf uh, known so far in the state of Oregon. Um, and once by accident, ended up, we ended up about 10 yards from each other. Uh, and even then, here we were with the biggest, baddest wolf in the state of Oregon. Uh, the moment that wolf saw, saw me and the two people I was hiking with, he tucked his tail under his legs and he ran. Uh, until he got to the other side of a stand of trees um, and barked at us uh, until we left. And we only came to learn later, we were actually only about um, a couple hundred yards, maybe 200 yards away from where his den site, where at that time there would have been pups were. Um, and what an amazing experience that here we have this tremendous deep-seated fear of the wild and of wolves. And here was a wolf who had every reason to attack us, to defend his pups, and what did he do? He turned his tail under his belly and he ran away cowering. Um, you know, I, I've had those encounters with wolves and um, I hear a lot of people say that, you know, maybe it's that expert who's afraid of the super wolves from Canada uh, who says, we can't go out there without a gun anymore. Um, I, I don't carry a gun. I don't feel like I need to carry a gun. And if I did, it certainly wouldn't be to protect myself from wolves, myself from wolves. Um, I felt a lot of emotions when I've seen wolves. Uh, it's never been fear. Uh, wolves should certainly be treated with respect. They are big animals. They have the tools. Um, they kill animals much bigger than themselves to make a living. Uh, but the reality is you've got a lot more to fear on the trail um, than you do a, a wolf. You should be careful if, you have, if, you have, if you're hiking with your dog in wolf country. Uh, wolves see dogs as other wolves that are not members of their pack and potentially a threat. Um, but those experiences uh, uh, with wolves are, have, have truly been... Um, life-changing. Um, I have a really terrible memory, um, but I'm pretty sure I could tell you the exact temperature and what direction the wind was blowing every single time I've, I've seen a wolf in Oregon. That's really amazing. That's cool. <laughs> that I actually, I mean, you were talking about how your parents told you um, when you were a kid that there were wolves in the area. And even as someone who is interested in conservation and really open with this and I um, want wolves to be protected. I haven't seen one personally. I haven't had that experience. And so that fear um, <laughs> still hovers there for me. You know, like, oh, what if I was somewhere where there was a wolf? Like, what would I do? Like, just um, it's and I I think there's just like a fear of one. If there's only been this other story there, it's really hard for our minds to um and what it's a story of fear, you know, it's hard to override that if we haven't had an experience that tells us otherwise, like that's, you know, um, bigger than that in some sort of way. And then also just like that, there's just a natural kind of fear of not knowing what to do, especially if there's a safety <laughs> issue. Um, so maybe if you could share just as we're about to wrap up here, like what are some things if people, you know, if we're talking about wanting to, um, I guess, let the wolf population grow and that there might be more encounters with people um, to help alleviate some of those different fears of what to do. Like, do you have any suggestions for that or? 
Yeah, well, and I think, you know, to be clear, too, I, I think, um, you know, I wouldn't advocate for for seeking out encounters with wolves. I mean, I actually think that's part of what makes these experiences so wonderful. And it's not just wolves, it's, it's any animal. I think that's why wildlife watching is, and, and being out in nature is such a special thing. Unlike so much else with our smartphones and Netflix and all those sorts of things, where we have whatever we want right at our fingertips in exactly the time and place and way we want it, Nature comes at us in the way, at its own rhythm, its own pace, when it wants to. Um, and so those opportunities, why they're so precious, is because you can't create it. And I would not suggest that people go crawling into wolf dens and seeking out opportunities <laughs> to, you know, to interact with wolves. It's not good for you, and it's not good for the wolf. But when people ask me, you know, what should I do when I see a wolf? Um, my answer is you should grab your camera because you are lucky, so lucky to see it and the likelihood it's going to be there for very long is really, really low. So take a picture, uh, enjoy the experience, and walk away. Again, you know, if you do have your dog, you should keep your dog under control in wolf country. And in the case that I talked about, the encounters I've had with wolves, I, I do. I leave. I don't want that wolf to get habituated to me. I just walk away, and I've had no problem. Uh, and I think that's the right way. that's the right way to handle it. But I think all of that comes, you know, your sort of visceral fear is sort of, you know, I, I cringe when I see a spider that weighs two grams <laughs> or when I see a snake. There's something genetic inside of us. And, you know, I think that when you think about whether it's evolutionary, that thousands and thousands of years ago, the person who was afraid of, of the wolf or the, or the cougar or the lion or the tiger or the bear, oh my, uh, they, they were more likely to survive. And so that's kind of innate in us. And then we have all these cultural things, too, that tell us whether it's biblical or Little Red Riding Hood, that, that these animals are scary and dangerous and are the symbols of evil. Um, but there's another reason, too, I think, and, and there's a great quote, I think it was Barry Lopez, who said, um, when you look into the eyes of a wolf, you'll see your own soul. I hope you like what you see. And there's something really true about that, because when you look at what wolves are, they are these tremendously social, tremendously intelligent and complex animals who have many of the same characteristics as wolves, as, as humans do. And so when, when you, if you look at the world in one way, you can say wolves are like humans in this, in this wonderful way, in that they take care of each, their families. They're family-oriented. They will sacrifice themselves for one another. They cooperate um, and, in really touching ways. But if you want to look at the dark side of it, um, all of the negative things we talk about ourselves, we can put on wolves as well. They war with each other. They fight with each other. They kill. Um, and so I think it, it, it's one of those things where depending on, on your worldview, um, you can see the wolf in one way or you can see it in another one. Um, so, uh, you know, and I, I guess, uh, though I don't consider myself much of an optimist <laughs> these days, I will say <laughs> when, I, when I look at, at wolves, I see some really, I, I see something wonderful. And I think I feel that way about all wildlife where, you know, um, some things are cute and easy to love and some things make life more difficult. Uh, and they might be a little bit harder to love, but maybe a final quote I might just leave you with is, is Molly Beatty, who was the first woman uh, to head the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And she said, and I think she was talking about wolves, um, but it certainly applies. She said, what a country chooses to save is what a country chooses to say about itself. And sure, uh, we have this long tortured history with, with wolves and other native hunters. Um, and, and, and they make, they can make life difficult. But it says something really good about ourselves if, if in the 21st century we, we have evolved to a place where we can make room in our hearts and on the landscape 
to let wolves come back and do what they were always supposed to do. And I think that lead, that, that has all of those other positive impacts as well um, that, that really matter. And, and whether you, you want to chalk it up to economics or, or ecology or, or just those spiritual values, I think um, Oregon is a richer place with all of the pieces, and wolves are certainly one of them. Well, I have one more question. It's a question that we ask everyone that we speak with just in closing. If you could ask one thing of your fellow human beings, what would it be? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I, I feel like I, I wish I would have done my homework on this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> these, these days, a part of me just wants to say, let's be a little bit nicer. <laughs> and, and maybe that's not a bad one. It's, it's the first thought I had, and I'm not sure it's actually the best answer. Um, but, you know, I think and I think that's we should be nicer to each other and we should be nicer to all of the other living things on this planet. Um, and, and that certainly applies applies to wolves. Um, I can't help but as an advocate, say, in a, in, with an opportunity like this, also make sure you raise your voice for, for your values, um, because a lot of those values are under threat. And when it comes to things like uh, when it comes to things like wolves and nature, um, we need to be a little bit kinder these days. And. Um, sometimes that means uh, picking up the phone and calling Governor Brown or calling your legislator or and, and talking to your legislator and telling them that those things matter. Um, because speaking from a speaking from that place of kindness and compassion and caring, um, it, it doesn't it's it's hard that doesn't often get people riled up. Um, hate really drives people. Um, people who hate the wolf are the ones who are the loudest. Uh, and so if you're one of those people who is kind and caring and, and care, you know, please speak for those values just as loudly as the people who simply want to kill and destroy. That's awesome. Uh, thanks, Rob, for joining us today. And um, we really appreciate uh, your thoughtfulness and uh, your time today. Well, thanks for having me and uh, feel free to be in touch anytime. It was, it was a pleasure. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much, Rob.